I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. You guys really make me feel good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming out, everyone. Yeah. You good? I'm going to uh, start out with, uh, with a couple introductions, then we'll, then we'll dig into some deeper stuff. Down there, we have our, uh, our producer, Giannis Putellis. Eagle. The Lavian Eagle. And uh, also joining us is outdoor columnist and general outdoor writer, Pat Durkin. You, you can't, you can't see it. You can't see it, but Pat, uh, but, but Pat Durkin has new tattoos. And I was asking him, like, why now? And he said that he's old enough now where he doesn't have time to, re- to come to regret them. <laughs> <laughs> also today, we're looking, we're behind Pat's car, and Pat has what we thought was a vanity plate. Cause his license plate is 270 deer. But he said it just happened to happen that way. It's like a modesty plate. It's not a vanity plate. But it's like, you know you're a true hunter when they send you a 270 deer license plate. It's my wife's car. <laughs> and uh, we have Mark Boardman from Vortex Optics. And I don't know about you, but I, uh, you know, I've worked with and been friends with the guys at Vortex for forever. And when you have a problem, you call up. 
it won't be you, but like genuine people answer Absolutely. the phone and help you can call out. Call me. You, you can call and ask for Mark. Yeah. So when you have an optics question, call this guy up and talk to him. And then we have a uh, frequent podcast guest. Probably the most frequent podcast guest is uh, Old Cal Forty Six or Ryan Callahan. Forty Six. Four oh six. Old Cal four oh six. Old Cal four oh six. Yeah, you know, I come like I come through here quite a bit because you guys are such a you know like Minneapolis is such a hub. And the thing I think about often, like when even when I knew we were going to come here. So I think about this thing that happened to me years ago where I was flying into Minneapolis to go to a weird sound. I was, yeah, it was. I thought I was like, this is the end, man. <laughs> I was flying to Minneapolis to go to this, this white Buffalo's birthday party, which was west of here out in the Dakotas. But I, I mean, me and my wife flew in. We weren't even married yet. And we flew into the airport and rented a car, started driving down the road and got on 94. And I saw, like, what I believe to be to this day, it was still velveted out, but what I still believe to be, I, I saw what I, at the time, believed to be, the, like, still, the biggest whitetail buck I'd ever seen in my entire life, standing, it was like, there was a Walmart, and there was a pond, and a giant buck standing on the side of the road. And it was burned in my mind, you know? And when I when I fly over now, I still try to look down and make sense, because I didn't think to, you know, put a label on it or anything. But what, the thing that always sticks in my mind, it was, it was, uh, the week, it was the week after 4th of July. And so we, we head west out of Minneapolis. We start getting out, you know, you start transitioning out onto the prairie. And even though it was a week after 4th of July, people are still cooking off fireworks everywhere at dusk. And there's this big thunderheads coming in. And against these thunderheads and all these small towns, you see all these fireworks going off. And it was kind of like between that buck and then as, as seeing that buck in the evening, then we went a little farther and seeing all that, it was sort of this combination of all the things I like about America, which would be like great wildlife, this kind of infectious patriotism, right? A willingness to blow your fingers off in, in pursuit <laughs> of a good time and natural beauty and the weirdness of it all. And also what the writer Ian Fraser kind of lovingly described as the trigger happiness of being an American. And, uh, so I think about that often coming through here. This time through, we did two things. Like last night, we, no, we did a thing last night and a thing this morning. Last night, we went out on Lake Minnetonka and tried for a little while to catch a muskie, which didn't work out for any of us. Giannis caught a largemouth bass that was as big as his plug. Um... They say it's the fish of 10,000 casts. Between us, we logged 1,000-plus casts. So we have nine more trips to go. And one of us to catch a big muskie. But the thing I did, like, it's kind of weird because when you go somewhere and you, you, if you go from not knowing about something and then it quickly becomes your least favorite thing, it's disconcerting. But this thing of that you get a boat, that you can fill the boat with water so that it sinks down and makes a gigantic wave that you then surf on, it's like the surfing version of shooting preserved pheasants. <laughs> and, and like, you know, God forbid that if this lake did have one stretch of natural shoreline where there was like some debris and reeds and stuff, you can kiss that goodbye with the whole lake sending out six foot waves. Oh, what's the problem? There was a little park. 
that we we fished in front of for the natural shoreline. Yeah, it'll be gone in a week if this fad, <laughs> if this like making surfing waves fads thing goes. But then this morning we got up and did a. We visited the federal ammunition head world headquarters plant. That was fascinating. I'm going to run through a handful of things that I learned that I didn't know. And you guys can jump in and crack me where I might be wrong. But for starters, a, we were going to ask this as a trivia question earlier. A belted magnum, the belt on a belted magnum serves no purpose. Right? It used to, but it doesn't now. It doesn't strengthen anything. It's just there for no reason. Um... It was, just so everybody knows, originally it was there to uh, measure headspace. To measure headspace. But now it's just there because people feel that it ought to be there. Does nothing. Um, brass. Why is it brass? Brass, like that flash of heat, right, expands the metal. Brass goes back, when it cools, it goes back to the shape it was. Other metals, if you made a casing and it expanded, it would just conform to the contours of the thing, you'd never be able to jack the cartridge out. Hence brass. Uh, the color coding system with shotgun shells, it used to be all color coded out. Everyone got away from the different color coding systems, but the only one they stayed true on is the 20 gauge remains yellow. Everybody else kind of walked away from different ones. And in fact, Federal makes a pink 12 gauge shell, which is like, breast cancer awareness, and some of the proceeds for that go to that. They make a box where you can get it where it's all red, white, and blue shot shells, which is the, the Patriot box, and that goes to veterans things, but the rest we've just gotten rid of the whole thing. All of that lead, so all the lead in the shot, so everything, the lead bullets and all the shot pellets, that all comes from recycled car batteries. From near here, there's like gopher, what is it? I wrote it down. Go for resources. Car batteries, China, Mexico, all over the world come here, and those lead batteries are what goes into So when you're out shooting federal shot, you're shooting recycled lead batteries, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, trying to think of, you know, what, what are lessons am I missing here? You guys are drawing a blank? Oh, the plastic in the shot shells is all local, from Imperial Plastics. Did you guys pick up anything? What you, was interesting? Were you what weren't was, on the tour? <laughs> <laughs> I fed you half that stuff. Don't don't play that. <laughs> Dude, I was emailing myself during the tour of stuff that I didn't want to forget because I wanted to remember. They put clove and cinnamon in the ballistic gel. Yes. So it doesn't smell so bad when it starts to uh, melt. I found that that was very interesting because clove cinnamon has been used to take down the smell of death for a thousand years yeah, still in use today right in the federal ammunition yeah the ballistic gel is like animal gelatin yeah i didn't know about that either it's the most satisfying thing in the world to slap <laughs> it's just like slap. i loved it um the biggest game changer though i thought was this new um, tungsten combination steel and tungsten pellets that with a, with a 410 shotgun now they're putting more kill shots into a turkey more bb's in that turkey's neck area than they were like 10 years ago with a 12 gauge yeah i thought your, that was really cool your children will all hunt turkeys with 410s 
Uh, but right now, like in most states, you can't because the laws are sort of lagging behind yeah. the efficacy of where they're at with the new materials. So we learned all about all that stuff. Um, first thing I want to get into outside of that is uh, a couple clarifications that I want to run through from some other shows. Uh, we recently talked about our friend Doug Duran and how his deer, and most of the deer, like all the deer around here, like deer aren't organic, right? Because most crop fields today, like most agriculture areas you go to, the corn, wheat, alfalfa, that stuff's not organic, and deer are free-ranging, which is another thing we like about them. And these free-ranging deer are want to walk all over and eat these crops. In fact, a lot of them feed on GMO crops and certainly non-organic crops. So most of the white-tailed deer that we eat, we're not eating organic deer. But Doug wanted to point out, he's like, hey, man, my deer aren't organic, but my cattle are because they're not quite free-ranging. So he's able to limit his cattle enough to keep them organic even though his deer aren't. Another guy wrote, and we were talking about roadkill, and we were complaining about restrictive draconian roadkill laws here in America. And he says, man, the lunacy extends up to Canada. He lives near Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. One day he's driving down the road and hits a Hungarian partridge. Gets out of his car, goes and grabs it. A police officer pulls up thinking he's having car problems. The police officer after a while is like, what's in the bag? He tells him what it is. The cop confiscates it. And the guy says, the moral of the story, I keep my roadkill secret. <laughs> Another guy we were talking about, like, we are talking about this thing that happens where, let's say you go out and you get a bad hit on a deer. And you don't find the deer until later, and, and the meat's not salvageable, but you find the deer and you want to keep the antlers. We are talking about, like, what sort of happens, how does your relationship with those antlers change, right? Because it wasn't like you got it, got it. You kind of got it, or not really got it, but now you have this thing. And so what are you doing? You're looking at it. And this dude rode in to say that he hit one, he hit a buck with his bow and lost it and didn't find it until the next spring hunt in Morell's. And by then, a squirrel had gnawed off one of the main beams, and he was riding in about wondering if it would make sense for him to get a squirrel mounted chewing on his deer antlers. <laughs> and I was saying that I think that it would be better to ask me than to ask the squirrel this question, but I would say absolutely. I would go ahead and do it. Another clarification I think warrants some attention is we had a recent debate about, like, if you say, if you say, I'm going to thaw out a turkey breast, it opens up the question is, do you mean both or does a breast refer to one? And someone says, like, does, if you say, a ha he gave me half a breast, does that mean he gave you half of the meat on a turkey or does that mean he took one side of a turkey and cut that in half and gave you, in fact, a quarter of the turkey? And this guy said, you can solve this whole thing by picking up the commercial poultry term of a lobe. And a chicken has two lobes. So if you were to give someone a lobe, you'd give them half a turkey. If you were to cut a lobe in half, that's a quarter of a turkey. And I'm going to start adopting. You'll start hearing the term lobe all the time on this show. Um, another thing on the subject of turkeys, we talked about recently talked about a bearded hen. Most states don't say male, female, wild turkey. They stipulate or specify that you're allowed to kill a bearded turkey. And there's like, you know, one in a hundred female turkeys have a beard. So it just so happens if you hunt turkeys long enough, you're going to wind up with a hen. Have you, you got one? Yeah. I passed up two of them. You've passed up two? No. Negative. Negative. 
He was saying there's a hidden value in bearded hens is you can get the rare opportunity, which is otherwise illegal, to consume a wild turkey's egg. And he got a bearded hen and found an egg, and he reported the egg to be large, excellent in flavor, with an unusually thick shell. Uh, in response to nothing, except maybe in response to my buddy Ronnie Bames' maximum that you should never wear a hat that has more personality than you do, a guy wrote in with the observation, it's a proven fact that a man's credibility is inversely proportional to the flatness of his hat brim. <laughs> a, I don't, I don't agree. I don't necessarily agree on this point at all because Giannis for a while was running like kind of flat brim. Yanni almost went flat. He still kept his ears outside of the hat, but was, he was like flirting with running flat. And I think you kind of pulled back, right? No, I, I just usually wear them how they come. I've been, I've, I haven't been wearing hats as much over the last maybe 10 years or so, only when I'm in the woods. And so I'm not thinking too much about how they look. So when, when I get them, they just go on my head. Yeah. When I was a boy, uh, people, it was a fad for a while to take a, your hat and wrap the bill around a beer can and put a rubber band on it to give it like a power curl. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you guys aren't there, but you're you're running. I used to, I used to huck mine in a in a pint glass. I'd just crimp it there and shove it down in the glass. Rubber band? Oh, in a pint glass. Just in a pint glass, and it would curl it quite nicely. Nice. Yeah. But you you you're flattening. It's evolved. Gradually. Refer to flattening. that as the uh, Jersey Tunnel. <laughs> then another thing, uh, the journalist. I did an interview uh, with the journalist Tony Jones, and afterward, he wrote in to, uh, he just wanted to send me this thing, we talked about this earlier today, that uh, Minnesota has released its new management plan, and they're figuring there's enough whitetails on the ground where they have the goal of harvesting 200,000 whitetails annually. And I remember seeing that and thinking, like, man, if someone wasn't familiar with just how many deer there were and sort of where we're at in, in, in deer recovery relative to where we were, you know, 100 years ago, they would see that number and maybe have like a funny feeling about it. But then I thought it would, I wanted to check and compare it to something. And if you think 200,000 deer is a lot, this country slaughters that many cattle every two days. So that kind of puts that deer harvest into perspective. Uh, another thing to put into perspective, and this, this is for Callahan here. Ryan, can you explain how you recently did some liaising? Like you did some liaising with, are, are you comfortable talking about this? What I keep asking you a thousand questions about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, there's. Want me to set it up or do you want to? No, go for it. Okay. Ryan Callahan had the audacity of hanging out with someone from the company Patagonia who has had over the years some, like, the founder is a hunter, does some amount of hunting and fishing. The company itself has given voice to some individuals who have decidedly anti-hunting stance. And Ryan has been doing some hanging out and liaising. liaising. That's a word, right? Yeah. And me. we keep, and people keep writing me to gripe about it. Like, how dare, you know, how dare he do that, right? And, yes. and, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about right it. Here, oh, the go. topic, I do not mind. Now, the gripe, I take, I'm starting to get kind of torqued with but go ahead no that was all i, I would say like if, if i was gonna say you know you remember like nixon that nixon was so anti-communist 
right? His anti-commie credentials were so solidly established that he and only he could go and interact with Red China, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, if I'm going to send a hunting dude to go talk to some non-hunting dudes, like, you're my Nixon. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? So I don't know why it all of a sudden is like, oh, he's selling hunters out. He's not a true hunter now because he talked to a non-hunter. Please. Yeah, so I I have this very firm belief that we are not we are not doing ourselves any justice by only speaking. Like I can come out here and talk to you guys every night, all night, no matter rain, shine, snow, whatever, and tell you how great hunting is, and how much we do for wildlife and conservation and. Uh, how we're supporting everything. And by doing that, I am not, sadly not going to ensure that we will have hunting, wildlife, public lands, access for the future. I'm just not, because our group just isn't going to grow that fast. So, speaking to lots of people who enjoy that public land and that access, but they don't necessarily hunt, they don't necessarily dislike hunting, that is the way I believe that we are going to ensure hunting, public lands, access long into the future. So 80% of America does not hunt. Yeah. But how are we going to grow that hunting number and ensure hunting... Because we have some no, real you told me difficult how you do it. You, stuff. You told right me how now. we do it. You do it by hiding behind your middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> That's what some people would like to see happen. So you're not. This isn't a thing. You're not going to sell us all out all of a sudden. <laughs> I've been a mole. The deter- for, uh, yeah, turns been out undercover in the hunting world for a long time. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I appreciate you taking the time to set it there because I haven't had the energy to res- to reply to the to the criticism, but it's been annoying me. Well, it, the gripe just annoys me. Yeah. It's like, how dare you talk to somebody who doesn't think the way we think? He got an email today from the guy that wasn't going to buy First Light anymore because Callahan talked to a non-hunter. It's like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> I like, I saw, I, I sleep with one. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't sold y'all out you yet. You just lost your podcast. <laughs> So betrayed. Uh, all right, here, here, here's a here, here's a, uh, a conversation I think warrants some discussion. This is a good one. This is from a dude um, in California, non-hunter, and I'm curious to get you guys' perspective on this. So he he has a garden, right? And lo and behold, all kinds of rabbits come and start consuming his vegetables in his garden, and he gets to reading about how he or an appointee can harvest rabbits that are doing damage to his garden where he lives. Gradually, he comes to that he likes the rabbits more than the vegetables because he starts eating the rabbits. <laughs> so then he gets to thinking, I'm just going to plant a lot more stuff that they like. <laughs> and Oryx, I, I'm really, he's like realizing I'm really in this for the rabbits. But then he listens to us talk about different issues around legality issues around baiting, so he's just trying to get, like, ethically and legally, where am I, like, is this, is this the baiting that everyone's always debating? 
and, and, and my perspective, like, I can't speak, to, I, I can't speak to the legal situation in California. My perspective on it would be, it's like, it doesn't matter, in my mind, it doesn't matter that you've made a mental transition to perceiving it. It's like, it's like the law would say, um, you can kill rabbits that are destroying your garden only if you're sad about it. <laughs> like, it would never, like, the law would never go there, you know? But on the, on the legal end, I have no clue. Is it a game species in California? It's a game well, species. Yeah, and, and I, think in, I think in California, most states, as long as it's doing damage to your personal property, you can, you can harvest it. And, yeah. You know, I read that, and I thought, this is a guy after my heart. <laughs> that, that's the kind of stuff most of us grew up doing. You know, I, I remember being stuck out in the horse barn where I lived, a little bitty shack, basically, with a, in one little window, and sitting out there with a pellet rifle protecting the strawberry crop. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that flew in there, I'd shoot. I'd usually miss it, but you know, you, that was your purpose for being out there, and, and you, you were encouraged to do that. And if a rabbit came through, you definitely shot it. And the, the thing of baiting, if it's something that the human would eat anyway, you'll never, no one's ever going to bother you about that. No, if, you, if it was migratory waterfowl, it'd be an entirely different right. story. Right. But it's not. Yeah. So I think he's proud. He's like cool. He's, he's cool legally. I think ethically, it's not like a. It's a It's an ethical positive, yeah. you know, because he's gardening. He's raising meat and vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just thought it sounded like a really good dual purpose garden. Yeah, dual yeah. purpose gardening. That's what he ought to, he ought to do a book about that. Yeah, and the fact the fact he's eating it. Most people that kill a, an animal doing damage, they bury it. You know, this guy's eating the stuff. I think is to be commended. You feeling good about him? I feel good about it. Another guy, so a Texan wrote in with something similar that I, that I like a lot. Uh, but he can't, he's misreading his regulations because he's saying, you know, you're not allowed to use uh, mechanical, like you're not allowed to use electronic things on, on archery equipment or whatever. Well, he discovered, though, he's a vapor, like vape pens, okay? Which I have a thousand thoughts about vape pens, but he's a... <laughs> He likes to have a man. He's he's running a mango flavored vape pen <laughs> while he hunts. And the first observation that this guy has about it is that what a, an amazing wind indicator it is. He says there's something about like the the way that smoke hangs in the air that it's like it gives a very nuanced read of what the wind's doing. But then he starts to realize he's starting to think that deer are liking that smell. And so he's struggling with, is it like I'm sort of doing a sort of electronic baiting by vaping out in the woods. He's like, you might wonder why it started. And he says, I like to party. And so <laughs> trying to do anything to this that I'm missing. Oh, but you know, I, I know what I was going to say about that. I, I remember thinking besides anybody else's opinion about it. So he's wondering, like, am I crossing a moral ground here by vaping out in the woods and luring in deer with mango scent? But, um... Same thing. He was already vaping anyways. It's like, you know how Doug Dern's piss is very attractive to deer? You wouldn't be like... <laughs> or so he claims. Buckman, yeah, Buckman juice, right? Right. You would never say, like, everyone can pee in the woods except Doug because <laughs> Buckman juice draws in deer. You know? Again, like, it doesn't transfer over. Well, anyone, have you, oh. First, <laughs> thanks for giving away my number one big buck secret. <laughs> And second, seriously, I would think that if you are allowed to use 
scents and lures in your state, then that would just probably fall within that category. Yeah, I think he's worried for no reason. I agree. I wonder if he goes to his smoke shop and sees they have alfalfa. (laughs) (laughs) Alfalfa infused weed. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So, when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out, there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. 
Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. Okay, that was on the subject of baiting. Now we're rolling back into, I want to say like on the subject of rabbits, even though we have... We're a step removed from rabbits, but a good one. And this is one that comes in all the time. And this is all part, like we keep hearing about R3. Is it 3R or R3? R3. Retention of hunters? Recruitment. Oh, recruitment of hunters. Recruitment, retention, and reactivation. So you'd get people to hunt, keep them hunting. If they quit, you'd get them back hunting again. Right. The R3. So I think that all of these things fall into the R3, like particularly this one. This guy's like talking about suburban squirrels and rabbits. And how people keep telling them, oh, you can't eat those because there's never an answer. But there's this like prejudice against suburban. They live amongst dirty people. It's part, it's like part of self, it's like self-loathing. and stuff, I'm guessing, right? That's what he's like. They eat stuff that, that they eat stuff. They humans eat too. (laughs) Yeah, they eat the stuff we eat. You know how nasty we are. I've looked into this endlessly, and the one, the only one I ever heard that I thought was kind of interesting, like, let's start with the disease one. The disease ones, no, because, like, all these rodents, um, doesn't matter, wild, suburban, even though the suburban ones are quite wild, uh, I mean, there's some, like, some of them can have mites that could feasibly carry bubonic plague. You can get tularemia. From a rabbit, I don't think that tularemia discriminates between ones that live kind of by a house and ones that live really far away from the house. So the disease one is no, but the one compelling argument I heard one time would be that what if the squirrel had eaten some rat poisoning? And I've asked around to a couple of doctors and they just, like, they're just, they don't, they're not seeing it. It'd be that, so it ate it. And then you got it right after it ate it, and then you ate its stomach contents or something. It just isn't a, isn't a thing. It would have to stay alive long enough for that poison to be absorbed into the meat somehow. And even then, it's like an anti, there's an anticoagulant in it. it, it just, I don't think it's a problem. I, have, uh, I, I live in a pretty suburban setting. But certainly by my standards, very... I mean, um, I'm urban. I'm an urbanite. And... Uh, in a very teeny town. Yeah. Uh, and I have rabbits that live in my wood pile. And I always leave them alone. And there's this uh, older fellow that comes and walks by my place every single day. And the only thing he says to me is, how are those rabbits doing? <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, I, I kind of remind him that they are likely not the same rabbits. Because he has a sense of ownership. Um and I have uh, a couple of bulls. I don't have space on the inside, so I have a couple of bull heads hanging outside. Like the fish? No, like That was a bad joke. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I think maybe he's saying, like, hey, don't kill those rabbits. And I have pondered killing the rabbits. And it's not this, like, oh, they're dirty rabbits thing that's keeping me from killing them. It's the... Yeah, it's that old, like, outfitter adage, like, you don't take the timber next to camp. Yeah, I got you. Because if you get snowed into camp, you're going to need that. 
Yeah, it's part of your like, you're like a prepper. Yeah. <laughs> like, one day those rabbits could come in real handy. I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I've eaten, like, over the course of my lifetime, I've probably eaten, yeah, definitely, like, definitely way in excess, like, into the hundreds of squirrels and rabbits from the rural suburban interface and some quite a number of squirrels from the epicenter of the nation's largest megalopolis, which and, I don't want to go into great detail about. And all you've ever come <laughs> down with is Lyme disease and trichinosis. And, and uh, Yeah. <laughs> and when I got trichinosis, it was about as far away from a person as you can get. So no problems there. Um, on the, you see how I'm, you see how I'm, like the trans, how good the transitions are? Check this one out. On the subject of food safety, <laughs> dude's wondering, uh, bone and neck roast. So I, I, I like bone and neck roast and CWD. Right? It's, that used to, like, we used to just, like, cutting up a deer. Do you mind? I used to cut them right here at the jaw and I'd cut them right here and just take that whole thing and cook it. And, and it's like as much as, as much as there's no, like, there's no evidence, not no evidence. We know it hasn't happened. Like there's, there's no one's, no humans contracted CWD. As far as we know, no coyote has contracted CWD. No black bears contracted CWD. Um, that's probably just though because it's a fake uh, disease made up by the government, right? I know. Then I learned. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to touch about the new. Is it? I don't think new idea. Like the new idea that it's all that is. I've only heard about the that new idea in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that in fact it's not true. It's funny because one, I hope that those people are right. I would much rather have to deal with a large government conspiracy than I would have to do with the potential contamination of my my preferred food source. So it's like, I hope that it's, I, I would love it to tomorrow realize it's all this big lie. But I also find it's funny that so much of the, that, that like, so many of the people who don't believe that there's a disease called CWD happen to be involved in the captive servant industry. It's like, that's like too coincidental and sort of convenient to overlook. But to get back to the, the, the neck rolls thing, it's like, even though there's no, like, it hasn't made, it hasn't jumped the barrier, right? So there's no predators that have gotten it, humans that have gotten it. Um, there's a lot of question about how long it's been. There has certainly been. There, humans have absolutely, certainly consumed thousands of pounds of CWD-infected venison. Absolutely. Um, but it's changed the way I look at it. It's changed, like now, I'm like, still do it, but if I'm, like hunting in Wisconsin, we had, it's like a CWD area, and you get free testing, so you get back to like, negative. But I still can't help perceive it differently. Well, when they, when they do that test, the first thing they tell you in your card you get back, it'll say to the, something to the effect that we cannot find evidence of CWD in your sample, but that does not guarantee CWD is not present in that meat. Mm -hmm. You know, they always tell you that. Um, the thing that we're doing now, though, in Wisconsin is the, the law changed now. If you're in a CWD, air, CWD area, 
and you kill a deer there, you, you cannot remove the bones from that deer from that area. It has to stay in that area. And it, like Doug Duran wants to have a dumpster for the public to use right outside of his farm there and his driveway so people, people can dump their, dump their bones there, be done with it. And not discard it out of the landscape. Not discard it out yeah. in the landscape. You know, because right now, in, in the past, you could basically shoot a deer at Doug's farm or my uncle's farm 10 miles down the road and go home with it. And no one ever got ticketed for bringing home a deer across the, out of the county, even though it's been against the law for, you know, 15, 20 years now. But to get back to the question, you know, personally, at 62 years old, I'm not too worried about being the first human to come down with CWD. Same way you look at the tattoo thing. Same thing with the tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> Same exact thing. Um, but I'll be damned if I'm going to make a neck roast and serve it to my grandkids. You know, I well, don't think... Okay, if it comes from a CWD area or any deer? Um, CWD area. Okay. I guess I'm just not getting that worked up about it when I go out to Idaho and shoot an elk out there or Arizona or something. But I, but I, I guess if I were in the mid, Midwest now, though, like right here in Minnesota too, in northern Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin, we found two CWD deer on the Wisconsin River up by Rhinelander, which is up in our northern forest, which they aren't, they haven't been sampling, so we can't say where it's, where CWD is not anymore because we aren't, haven't been checking for it. Yeah. And and I, if we're going to complain about our states not doing their job, our agencies, that's when I'd say we're not doing our job. We aren't doing a good job surveying a big area periodically to just make sure we're okay because we don't know right now you 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 have sorry you have cwd within uh you know a hundred air miles probably of where you hunt elk in idaho Oh, definitely and yeah and and definitely i'm not that far off of a lot of places where i hunt in idaho and certainly i have it probably in the spots that I hunt in Montana. Uh, so I really want to know, like, how comfortable are you taking that whole elk roast out of Idaho? Well, there again, I'm not packing any meat, any bones out, just boning it out and taking taking just the meat. So I don't I don't worry about a whole lot. But there's something about leaving that bone in that neck, neck roast. I think that had me a little bit more uneasy. Yeah, it just feels a little different. Because you think, you know, I don't know if you folks follow all this, but the prions that they think cause CWD is in that spi- a lot of it's in the spinal column. That's where they find it in the heaviest concentrations. And so, who, I don't know. I guess I wouldn't want to do it. I feel like also it's one of the few recommendations that they actually make. Like, if you're not going to do anything, like, don't do this. Like, like you said, stay away from the spinal column. Don't saw through it. But then a, a legitimate question that I have about CWD is, the deer aren't contracting it from one another by eating each other's spinal column. Yeah. So it's like through fluids or this, that, the other. So is it not even, is it not necessarily even a hunter issue or a I consume deer issue? Is it just, it's in the landscape issue? Yeah. Well, it's a good question. And the, but the thing you return to all the time is like, no one's gotten it. As much as I was goofing on people who, I think there's this big spectrum, like, like when people gripe about the CWD deniers, right? I'm using, I'm making little quotey, uh, symbols with my hands right now. I, that's a spectrum. It's a spectrum of attitudes. Okay. And I think the ones who say like, there's no such thing, I think is, is, is goofy and kind of laughable. Right. But there's a reasonable position to say, um, 
it's it's there. I, I agree that this is a thing that happens to deer. Um, it may have been here a long time. We weren't aware of it. it we, we just we know when we identified it, but there could be this long window of existence where it was just we just been having it. It's this thing that cr- occurs naturally. Not too long, no. You don't know. No, but the history that at the Z zones, they 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 would think based on what, what was first discovered in Wisconsin. They thought it probably showed up probably somewhere between 10, 20 years before based on the epidemiology of okay. that disease. So it but, could go back to the 60s. It, yeah, when, when folks say this disease has been around forever, that's not true. And, you know, you, you don't want to just call them BSers, but, you know, it's, it's just not true. It's, it's just a, a rec- fairly recent disease, and I just think we have to deal with it now. But, yeah, when I go deer hunting, though, I, you know where I hunt. Yeah, you've been on the farm where I hunt. It's still you mean fun- your, uh, your cousin or aunt? My, my, well, it's, it's my cousin's farm now. It's my, my late uncle and aunt, so that's where I... Yeah, and he killed yeah. a turkey off yeah, that Yanni, place. Yeah. yeah, and she always wants you guys to come back because she, she likes you guys. Closed all the gates. But, but it's, still, it's still, for me, as much fun as it's ever been. It's something, yep. you know, our family gets together. Sorry, one time a year we hunt the weekend, basically, and that's it. And it's still fun, but I, but I am more careful about it now. As far as boning things out, and as always, the person to bone it out anyway. But now with the, the new laws going in, I think, well, it's one of those laws that makes sense. It's a little more inconvenient, but it makes sense. And I think, you know, you know, it's good public policy. I think. Yeah, that, that's what, what, when I'm talking about that that, that like spectrum thing. I, I'm just trying to identify the point of the spectrum where my annoyance goes away. Yeah. And the thing that I find is like people like. The thing I found about human beings is we tend to like easy ideas that make us feel good. So when I am talking to someone who's like, I don't see the big deal, I'm just going to continue eating it. I'm like, hell yeah, man, right, <laughs> for a couple minutes. And then some other guy's like, bro, do you want to be the one? And I'm like, oh, no, and I get that sinking feeling. You know? <laughs> the annoyance part is, I mean, that's that's what I struggle with too, Because when you, and you know this, and I think you've, I've heard you describe it this way, but when you pull that, neck roast out and you do it correctly you can basically take that spinal column and remove it and it is so clean and it instantly like dries you could put it in the smithsonian it is yeah it is so clean and that is so deeply satisfying to look at that whitening bone that has zero meat on it because i feel like i've just done my job as a appreciator of that animal and that's what I potentially have to throw away because that neck is so hard to debone properly. Yeah. Yep. Like you will yeah. never get it that clean right. in the field. No, no, dude. I don't care how nice your uh, boning knife. You will not. It's wasteful to bone out a neck. Yeah. You need to cook that some bitch down. <laughs> and yeah, times are changing, man. But again, I don't know that I'm going to give up yet. Uh, on the subject of food safety. Um, health advisories in fish. So here we know, like, CWD, okay? It's theoretical. Not theoretical, but like, the idea that it would, that a person can catch it has never happened. People have eaten thousands of pounds. Health advisories in fish, we damn sure know that heavy metals are no good for you. I eat that stuff, like, I eat fish out of health advisory lakes all the time. We eat big halibut, we, you know, Without, I never think about it. I try to hide the existence of health advisories to my wife because it's a conversation I don't feel like having. <laughs> where I live, like where I live right now, they suggest that 
where I live right now in Fish Yellow Perch, they suggest that you do not eat more than two meals. What is it? Then two meals of yellow perch out of this lake every month. But only yellow perch that are 12 inches. Because at that point, I think it's that at that point, when a yellow perch is 12 inches, he becomes pisciferous. He becomes a fish eater. And so then he becomes a bioaccumulator. Um, but I don't pay any attention to it. Because I just know that when I die, that's not going to be what I die from. Like, I'm not going to die... And then they do an autopsy, and some dude's like, was he eating perch? You know, <laughs> I, it's just like, there's just no way, man. And then this dude I, this dude I grew up around, one of, one, of my, one of my young fishing mentors was this guy named Ron Spring, and they were trying to study the effects of heavy metals on uh, mercury and other things on people who'd consume fish. And everyone anywhere, everyone within 100 miles of Ron Spring knew that if you want to talk to a guy that eats a lot of fish, talk to Ron Spring. This guy's job... He was a commercial bait fisherman. So he fished leeches, wigglers, dugworms, seine minnows, and supplied live bait to all the bait shops. But he also was a fish-eating machine. So he starts going to Michigan State University for these batteries, or no, U of M. They start having him out to do these batteries of tests where they'd say to him, like, okay, check it out. You need to go to a grocery store and you got to buy, and they'd name like 13 things he's supposed to buy. Then he'd have to go sit in a room by himself. And a while later, they're like, what are you supposed to buy again? And he came home from it once and said, Steve, I don't care if I ever ate a fish in my life, I wouldn't be able to remember that list. (laughs) So, so But yeah, it's like, I can't get on, I I recognize, sure, but I just like catching and eating fish more than I fear death. There was a case in Wisconsin where a guy got really sick from, um, I think it was either mercury, or I think it was mercury. From he he took and pickled northern pike nonstop and ate mm-hmm. it for a, I think he ate it daily and he did get sick. Was his name Brody Henderson? <laughs> no. I don't think so. <laughs> but um, you know my my situation. I, I do actually. But read, they, they think he got sick. Oh, he definitely he definitely got sick from. But but then he was eating it in such quantities that he probably gotten sick of something. That's just he really lived in that stuff. So and it, and it does accumulate, and it made him sick. That's a lot of pike. It, it's a lot of pike, but he's eating it daily. How sick? Well, sick. We had to go to the hospital. Did he know? get better or die? No, he, I think he survived it, but I, I, don't, I don't have the whole history. It's, it's probably ten years ago now. But the thing I thing I was coming well, to. Okay, what else I'll, did I'll you do? When he, when he was catching all these pike, did he have all the sinkers in his mouth? <laughs> <laughs> I did that for thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, okay, but go on. Well, I, I should say, though, that that is a freak occurrence. So, I mean, when you eat that much fish, where you actually make yourself sick from the, the buildup of the, of the heavy metals, that's yeah. such an unusual freak thing. I guess I just went, I, I read that, but I thought it was just another freak story. Now, that's where I write it off. For, I think for the average person to catch the, the kind of size pike and, and walleyes and, and um, perch, whatever it might be, to, to catch enough of those, those real heavy accumulated fish, and then eat them on a regular basis enough to where you actually get sick, it's still take an awful lot of fish. So I guess I, 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 I read them, I pay attention to them, but then I start doing the math and I think, I'll never catch enough of that fish to ever make a difference. Yeah. You know, and, and so yeah, I got you. I, but, but I think for, again, though, 
that's for me. And when my wife was of childbearing age, so we pay attention to that because I thought, well, again, though, because I'm not the great of a fisherman, look at how many walleyes I caught, 23, 24 inches long, the ones you're supposed to avoid. And I think, well, that happens once a year, you know, where I catch a fish that big. And one that big, if you can keep track of it pretty easily and not feed it to her. And so, that, so I think those kind of things, it's, I think it's good public information. I, I think we'd be bitching at our government if we weren't doing that. And so the fact... Oh, yeah, you can imagine, dude, if no one ever brought it up and then someone, some oh, journalist yeah. unearthed these troves of research yeah. pieces about heavy metal contamination. Right. Yeah, so it'd be I like th- Flint, Michigan on a fisherman level. And the pe- <laughs> <laughs> and the, yeah, well, no, it's a, it's a great analogy. And the PCBs on, in fish on Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the government's responsibility, if, you know, watching over the public resource and a, a publicly consumed fish. To, it has to do that. You know, we, it, it's, I think it's a good responsibility. That I think they should keep doing. And I, I, I'm always glad when it comes. I, I, I look it over, and I go, ah, won't affect me. Don't eat enough of them. I will say this: I, I grew up eating salmon about three days a week. Because you're from Pacific Northwest. Yep. Yeah. And. Uh, I'm, I'm still here to tell about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I may not be I may not be the brightest, but I am sitting here right now. Uh, it's funny the way like people. Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. You, you're still on the subject. Go ahead. No, no, I was gonna I was gonna move slightly off by something that just occurred to me because I'm uh, for my 10th anniversary. My wife bought me one of these rubber rings instead of a metal ring. Ring. So you want to talk about like how we deal with risk, right? I've heard a couple isolated scenarios of dudes getting their ring hung up on something and sleeving oh, their finger. Yeah. And so for that, it was enough for me to not wear my wedding ring and switch to this. Okay. But I'll eat every contaminated fish <laughs> <laughs> that comes across my deep fryer. <laughs> we're, we're all just like, ir- we're just like irrational. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> so you were worrying that when they were doing your autopsy, they're like, "Son of a bitch, got sleeved and bled out." <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Like in some weird way, enough to where I said to my wife, and I didn't ask for one. She didn't know what they were, but it's I've brought it up enough to the point where, like, at whatever point a spouse registers the idea for a gift i've brought it up that number of times <laughs> like man you know i sure hope i don't get sleeved by my ring i think you need to describe <laughs> sleeved well if yeah if you ever want to see some terrible <laughs> pictures of what happens to people who get sleeved which is you know the the ring catches like let's say you're you have screwing tree steps mm-hmm. and you reach up and grab onto them and as you start stepping, you lose your, your footing, and it happens, and guys catch that wedding ring on the tip of that tree step. You want to see some gory, just How many people out there are going pictures. like this right and now? What like, I just start going, <laughs> I, I start making oh, a fist. Well, I, the, I, wish, I wish I remember the issue of Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine when I was at Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine back in the 90s. But we ran a picture of a tree stand accident by Brad Herndon. He's a good writer, and he's retired now down in Indiana. And he had done one of those where he sleeved his, well, his ring finger. And we ran the picture in the, in the magazine, and it, it got, I'll, I'll never get that image out of my mind. Yeah. What, what, turned, what, what initially alarmed me is I arced it on a boat battery and welded my finger to a boat battery. 
<laughs> that's when I, I was like, had a, however, I was holding the player and whatnot and messing with the boat battery and like leaning down, you know, and, and that thing like welded on there and I had to pop it off. And that's when I started my fear <laughs> that I waited four years to, to remedy with this year's silicone uh, ring. Well, I am convinced this thing is dangerous. <laughs> get, get this thing away from me. I've got a I've got a second follow up to that because um, you, you're thinking about things that might get you in the end. Well, or do you think about things that might get you in, or like what the likely cause will be, what you'd like to be gotten by? I I just go by like I type in like what you know like what kills American males. <laughs> it's like heart disease. So I just assume like I picture dying from that. So you take comfort. You're just like, nope, heart disease. Yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, so, like, when I think of death, I picture me being very old, surrounded by loving children, right? Extremely old, very loving children. And I just, like, that's, that's just how I... That's just how I imagine it going down. There, I, I, there's a lot of scenarios. Every time I make a decision, I'm just... I kind of end up with, yeah, I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I haven't... There, but there's those like you're in gridlock traffic. I'm like, I, not not today. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is in one of those times. But the, the 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 final thought on the health advisory thing, which I keep kicking around, uh, is how many uh, how many shots of alcohol are you supposed to do in one night? Like, not many. There's one that no one pays attention to. And I remember. <laughs> Like, there's, like, legit health advisories about drinking booze, right? Like, no one thinks booze is good, but people just drink booze, you know? And, like, I used to, we used to like to light bottle rockets and have them in between your teeth. <laughs> like, let it go at the right moment. What's the health advisory on that? So, it's, but it's on my mind, man, you know? Um, speaking of fish, how... Someone wants to know. We get a lot of questions like this. How, how do you guys freeze freshwater fish? Did you grow up freezing them in buckets of water? I've seen it yeah. done. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, but most of our fish was, you know, either, well, I guess, freshwater, like river, you know, salmon, steelhead, or the saltwater. But um, pretty much when vacuum sealers came out, I mean, that's when we really started putting up a lot of fish and, and being able to keep it for a long time. Yeah. You know? But yeah, growing yeah, up, man. Yeah, gr growing up, I remember um, fishing up north and putting them in milk cartons, and then um, you know, getting them in there kind of where they're just kind of floating and not real packed tight together, and freezing that and taking it home. And later, I remember my mom would always. Um, I never quite understood this when she'd soak them in milk and then freeze them. And I didn't, didn't ever question that, but it still tasted okay. I just did that with picked Dungeness crab frozen milk. Huh. Let it sit in my freezer. Year thought it out. I thought it was good. Not as good as fresh, but good. Yeah. Interesting. But we always froze freshwater fish in. Like we'd take gallon. My old man would like take gallon milk jugs or butter tubs or peanut butter buckets, anything like that. Man, you put the fish in there, pour water on it, and freeze it. But your whole freezer gets so yeah, it's full of water. Yeah, and you couldn't bring it anywhere. Yeah, these days we just vacuum seal everything. That's what I. That's when I switched. To, then I had like a love hate with vacuum sealers because I think I was using like really bad bags because 
you'd vacuum seal your bags and you'd open your freezer up and they wouldn't be sealed anymore. And then I slowly realized that it was like you can't jostle them. People that rub them, you're like, you know, you're banging around your freezer trying to right. find something. You're, you're jostling the bags and banging them on the wires in your freezer, banging them together, and you make small abrasions. So that's why when you vac seal something and you open it later, it's no good anymore. But I've now, I vac seal all fish. I vac seal all, uh, anything birds. I vac seal turtles, frog. The only thing I like wrap is red meat. Double wrap. Why, why do you make a difference there? Because it's just like, it just feels like it's so bulletproof, man. And it's just fast for me to do. I just wrap it in plastic wrap, then wrap it in freezer paper. I like the way it looks in my freezer. <laughs> just like, it looks like Fort Knox in there, you know? I don't know. I just, <laughs> well, the way we decided is that um, I do all the knife work. If my wife volunteers to help and gets the vacuum sealer out, I don't complain. I just let her do what she wants. And, mm -hmm. and if it's me, I'd probably, I find the paper less troublesome, but she likes the vacuum sealer. And I can't tell the difference in the meat. That's another thing is wrapping meat the double wrap way, you can, you can eat it two years later, three years later. If you wrap that, if you get that plastic wrap tight, 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 like all air out, tight, like a condom, and then you wrap that wax freezer paper, it never goes bad, man. So I just pulled a chunk of elk out, and I, we've talked about this before, but I do... As little cutting as possible, big chunks, no trimming, wrap it in paper, no plastic. No plastic. No plastic. Uh, kind of, I'm anti-plastic as much as possible. Just, you don't need to, you don't feel the need to just pump more plastic out into the planet? Correct. Yeah. You know, uh, free, freezer paper, I think, technically is made. I know, it's got that little shiny that side to it. Coating, yeah. Yeah. There's only so much you can do, Giannis. Uh, he's, he's being inconvenienced already. Yeah. Uh, well, but I'll, I'll figure it out one of these days. It's no, an I'm ongoing process. It's supposed to be used the way you're using it. I think. Like I, when you when you look at the directions on the on that freezer paper roll, like right there's a little diagram, and they like they have that weird roll that nobody I don't see ever anybody ever do. You know what I'm talking about? On oh, the, like on the, the real roll. butcher's roll. Yeah. No, I do a corner to corner genuine butcher's roll. I don't think that's how the butcher so, does yeah, it. Yeah, because there's like this weird, like compressed air out of it, where you roll up one end, like you make a bag and roll it super tight. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't use it. Uh, but like, I put this elk away, stinky. I was experimenting, which I often do, and and it aged, and it had like started to produce moisture again, along with it a bit of a smell, mm -hmm. and. Uh, so, you know, I just kind of squinted my eyes and rolled her up and got it in the freezer. And uh, I took that out uh, last week, and it was fantastic. Like it had got, it still had that ripe odor? No, nope, odor was gone. Okay. Trimmed off the outside. They call it high. Like some cultures, they like high. Like if you read old French cookbooks, they'll say hang it until it's high, meaning... Smells off. Yeah. And I've read that, I don't know that term specifically, but I, I've read that that kind of shiny, slimy is like ultra enzyme action on the outside. Yeah. And there's things in old French cookbooks to hang fowl 
I can't remember if it's by the, do you remember this, the neck or the foot, until it falls? I was telling us from the neck till it, till the body weight pulls it off. Yeah, till the body, till it decays enough that the body weight pulls it down to the ground. And I've mentioned this a hundred times. My dad would talk about hanging deer till it had a quarter inch of mold on it. But we just ate, we ate some, uh, meat. We discussed this. We ate some meat that had been hanging for 18 months. 18 months aged in a fridge. At what, 38 degrees? Yeah, something like, it was controlled. Tasted like cheese. <laughs> meat did, no joke, didn't it? Yeah. Well, Steve, Steve before you, before you move on, can we transition back to your, um, the, the urban diseases, because I, I thought with your background, you'd you'd tell us about the um, your days of hunting the, the um, pigeons up in the up in the bridges. I mean, that's about as urban as you can get. Yeah, they're I out even say the college days. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, eating street pigeons yeah. out of like not you know everybody eats street, not everybody. A lot of people eat street pigeons from out in the farm country, but eating street pigeons from cities, no problem. I've eaten street pigeons off the streets of New York, and I'm sitting here right now. <laughs> There's your proof. But I've had a lot of ailments, man. I've had a lot of weird ailments in my day, but not like not related to that weird ailment. But then you know the thing too, man. I hate to like return around because I thought of this today when we were touring the the, the federal plant. You talk about that, that they have that lead, okay? They get you take lead from they, they take lead from car batteries and they buy these like ingots of recycled lead, but they add like these small percentages of antimony, which is a lead hardener. When I was a little kid, we'd go down to the Twin Lake Gun Club, which was a mile and a half from our house. We'd go down there, check to make sure no one was actively shooting, go far down to the other end without putting any kind of flag or notification out. And take a screen that our old man made us. He made us like an archaeologist screen, like a box with a screen in the bottom. And we would sift the berm to get all the bullets out of it. Take those home and take a torch. And we had like, you know, those pots you melt lead in. And we would take a torch and melt all that lead and get all the impurities off. And the lead would rise up. And we had a, a sinker mold to pour our own split shot. And I never, and it wasn't until today that I understood, like, when you would tooth tighten that split shot, you'd always hear your tooth crunch in a way that you wouldn't hear with store-bought split shot. <laughs> and I realized now it's like, the, the minute they said to them, like, so that's what that was. Because it always had, like, a disconcerting, like, a disconcerting, like, crunch noise, man. And there was antimony in there. I did. I have can't to, segue out of that. I have that. Antimony and tooth enamel all crunching at the same yeah, time. Antimony and a slight touch of tooth enamel. I had to laugh at the federal plant today because we were walking through the, the shot area and um, about the time you probably had your same realization, but they had this huge, you know, uh, barrel full of probably number seven shot, really fine shot. And it's just, it's brand new and it's just kind of glistening there. And I think every single one of us kind of stared at it for a second. And then just like a bunch of little kids, you're just like hands in this big thing of lead. <laughs> yeah, you can't not do it. Yeah. You just got to get in there. And... <laughs> but my, my brother, he'd like collect uh, mercury out of uh, old, he'd collect mercury out of uh, thermometers until he had like a big ball of it that he kept in a 35 millimeter film canister. And we'd get that mercury out and just roll it around and play with it. 
it's funny, which I think was stupid even then. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, 35 years ago, still stupid or already stupid. Um, legal and ethical conundrums of bartering or trading fish and game. It's illegal, right? It's illegal to formally, it's illegal to barter fish and game. Like just way in the 1930s and earlier, we started to set up laws in this country to to decommodify game, um, to to destroy the economic incentive for market hunters to go out and, and kill North American game and sell it. And that was like the first most important step we had to take to recover American wildlife. Um, and, and they came into and said, "You can't barter it." But who? It's kind, of, it's kind of funny. And I got a buddy who one time was down on a dock, and he and a guy, he was coming back from lingcod fishing, and another guy was coming back from uh, fishing spot shrimp, and they didn't know each other. And they struck up a conversation and struck up a deal by which they would do a swap in an undercover game warden right there. Really? Doing a, they were doing a formal, you know what, a formal barter. What, were they bartering, what was he bartering for? Lingcod for shrimp. Lingcod for shrimp. Sport so, so caught lingcod for sport caught shrimp. Because they didn't know each other, and it was a formal, they were making a formal arrangement. They were like applying, sort of mentally applying value yeah. in trading. But, like, my brother, who lives in Alaska, when he comes down, he brings me king salmon, and I trade him contaminated perch fillets. <laughs> Right? But we don't, it's not, but he'll even say like, hey man, um, or whatever, I'll say, you know, bring a cooler down when you come, because he, he's from the Midwest and he misses perch. Do you, do you know that they, that those guys challenge it? Do they go to court and challenge it? Any idea? No. Because I, I would think. It's illegal. I'm, it's, well, it's illegal, but it's one of those things where you talk to any sensible person and go, I don't think that's the intent of that law. And I bet you a judge would agree with you that, that Typically, when people get busted for that kind of stuff, they're doing something, they're getting real value for it. You know, there's usually money at, at some point in the exchange, you know. Like, an easy one to do would be, let's say, like, for, I give my, my auto mechanic some elk every year as a thank you gift. You know, like some people might take flowers, I take them a, a roast. Okay, now, well, if he now, wrote you an invoice and said, right, new muffler. Right, exactly, exactly. If, if, he were, if I were to say, hey, if I give you half an elk, but you fix my transmission next week. That'd be illegal. You know, that's cut and dried. But, you know, fish, fish shrimp for fish, I would think any, any reasonable person would just say that's, that's not right. Yeah, but what, what if you were to say, hey, I have this real nice lingcod filet here. How about you give me 10 pounds of spot shrimp? And then the shrimp fisherman screwed. says, <laughs> says, yeah, I think it's only worth five pounds. Yeah, dude. And yeah. he goes, well, all right, how about uh, we settle somewhere in seven and a half pounds? I still think that'd be, right? I, I still no, think that'd man. be tough. No, if he's like, dude, these spot shrimp tails are 30 bucks a pound. Yeah. Give me the whole damn ling, right? That You agree that there's a point at which, oh, yeah. I, but, but I agree, too, in the, in the spirit of the law thing, the spirit law, the spirit of the law. I agree that my brother's saying, "Hey, I'm going to bring down a king salmon fillet," and I'm like, "That's great, 
regardless, I was going to give you some yellow perch. Right. No one's ever going to. I mean, yeah, like I, I 100% see why that's in place and think it should be in place. But then also like on like a very basic human level, that's kind of like what you do as a human being, like from the beginning of time, right? Yeah. It's hard to like... To, to but yeah, like you said, there's tears of it. It's like all of a sudden you're here and it's like, okay, this seems like super mellow, normal, like, and then all of a sudden it, you know, escalates pretty quickly. I would say um, amongst friends, I've never been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nah, give me some of that back. You can only have this much. Right? <laughs> right. Oh, that's yeah. the thing is I've never taken it to the, like, you never say to a guy where your body's going to um, bring you, a, say, like, your body's going to bring you some, some whitetail meat and you're going to swap them out some walleye. I've never seen someone take it to be like, well, how much? Right. <laughs> right. How much are you bringing down? So yeah. I'm trying to figure out when I go into my freezer how many of my milk jugs full of catfish fillets. Yeah, so I, I guess I've never seen it get abusive, you know, in, in all the years that I've... Oh, I never have. ...kind of engaged in it. Yeah, honest. I think, I mean, oh, you've seen it get abusive. Well, no, I used to make sure Interpreting I had... the Latvian smirk. <laughs> So you, you're like a you're like an illegal barter. I used to be. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's reformed. Go, go on, go on. Just when I was living in Colorado and in a ski town, you know, and I was whatever making 15 bucks an hour, and um, I'd always have a lot of elk meat. So some of the main things that I constantly for I don't know half dozen years I would barter for would be uh, ski tunes. Ski passes because I had a season. You pass. were buying ski passes with elk meat. Well, <laughs> so anybody that works for the mountain gets like. Well, it used to be this. It's not that way anymore. But back in the day, you used to get say I don't know ten or twenty free ski passes. Which, if you're skiing at Vail or Beaver Creek, those were like eighty or a hundred dollars value a piece. So if I had friends coming into town, I didn't have any of those if I wasn't working for the mountain. And how are you going to get them to ski? You know, like get them up on the mountain. So yeah. So I was very much calculating exactly how much that I round was worth because you're, you know, were you writing it out on little receipts? <laughs> no, no. Um, and then I got a few oil changes too. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't, I, maybe it's, I don't remember you telling me this. Are you now like repentant? Are you? Are you like? Or, and I would do the same thing again. No, I wouldn't do it again. I mean, now I know better. But now back you know then, I, I didn't know. Listen, I, I, I don't think any. I don't think any less of you hearing this. It probably, had, it probably, I'm guessing that it probably didn't even occur. Like a good hunter, man, I had like plenty of meat for myself and plenty to barter with. You know. <laughs> <laughs> did you know uh, at the time? Did you know that it was that you were you were potentially crossing a line? No, no, no idea. Yeah, and I think too, if you were like coming back from the, if you're going out the back door of a a butcher shop, and meeting somebody in the back lot and saying, here, now, now give me your, your ski passes, that gets to be, I think, a little more questionable. Just because of the, you know, you're on site where you know it, that's their business, cutting up meat. There's just something about the, the, um, the term for that, where you're... In, just in the, the context The of context it. of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. where, where I think when you go back to your apartment, and it's now buddy to buddy... It's, I don't know, it's hard to, hard to get too judgmental from, from me on that. Especially, especially college kids, you know. 
I can see that you get a citation, right? And then you're like digging in your freeze. You're like, how much is that ticket again? (laughs) (laughs) Just happen to have a couple tenderloins left. (laughs) Um, I guess to your point, we were having uh, dinner over at my house the other night and uh, you know, get, have buffalo skull up there and stuff, and uh, which came off of private land. And I was explaining how, yeah, you know, the rule is, and and uh, and we're talking away. And I was like, yeah, one one. I have this regret where I was guiding in uh, New Mexico, and uh, I had found this rock that was. You know, the size of like a big medicine ball, and it's probably a seventy-pound rock, but it had uh, three uh, fossilized centipedes in it. And really? It was just incredibly cool. And uh, I was like, "Well, I'm going to come back and grab that." And I had told these folks that I was cooking uh, cooking with that uh, I regretted not grabbing that. I said, "Well, yeah, but you just told us that was illegal." I said, "Well, yeah, but then I didn't know." So it would have been fine. Yeah, I, now I can't go back down there and pick it up. Yeah, like I wish I was the I wish I was the me that didn't know. Right. But see, that rock would be sitting next to your wood pile, and you'd look at it every day and go, "Man, I got to get that rock back to where it rightfully belongs." That's true. Yeah, you'd get caught by a I dude, and you'd have to explain back. that you're actually returning. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but <laughs> yeah, hey, Sonny. You'd be like, well, I'm actually bringing this rock back to your property under the cover of darkness. Should a, should a single species hunter be taken seriously? It's a good question. It's not an apparent question. I never thought of it myself. But Is there really such a thing? Yeah, there's definitely that kind of thing. Def- definitely. You were with a guy last night. a single species hunter. Single species. See, nobody. It's not a real thing. (laughs) Say, okay, if you're a single species hunter or a single species fisherman, say, yup. (laughs) (laughs) But we fished with a guy last night who is very definitely a single species fisherman. Okay. Someone wrote in to be like, I just can't take him seriously. Like, something must be wrong with him. I just think it's kind of cute. It's like the dude loves muskies. He's never eaten one. He just likes to catch them, and he'll trap. He'll catch them anywhere they can be found. It's like I don't. I like him better than someone that doesn't fish at all. Oh, certainly. Yeah. So it's like, and that's dude. That's the guy that you talk like. You know, I would consider like when it comes to like hunting or fishing, like like you say, a, a big game generalist, right? Like do a lot of different things, but. By that, I should probably wear that T-shirt that says "like world's okayest hunter" because like <laughs> I'm okay at a lot of things, but I mean those dudes that specialize like that, man, they are great at it, you know. And, I mean those are the guys that you look to for not like when you're really trying to sort something out, you know. Those are the guys you want to talk to. Yeah, you're trying to figure out whitetails. You don't call a guy that like now and then hunts a whitetail, right? Yeah. So no, I, I get it. I, I, I get what he's this. saying by thinking that it's goofy, but I disagree with him. I, I fished with a. Dude who's a really good guy in uh, South Dakota. And we were fishing for walleyes. And 
you know, and I am not a walleye fisherman at all. And, uh, you know, there's some subtlety to it that I wasn't really picking up on. The fact that they, they, they sort of think about biting rather than biting. Yeah. And then you like gingerly pull them up. Yeah. And, uh, he just ridiculed me every time I would, would either bring in a fish that wasn't within the slot limit or I would mention the fact that I liked to fish for anything else. <laughs> and he would go as far as to say, that is not a fish. <laughs> Pike? Oh, that's not a fish. And I find it very hard to believe that there's, in this area of the country, that there is nobody that answered, yep, yeah. from the fishing perspective, because he made it seem that he was not alone in his specificity for walleye. Yeah. I'd be, I wish we could do it somehow where you could say, how close to that single species are you? Are you like a 90% deer hunter and 10% duck hunter? That kind of thing. I know a lot of people in that category, myself included, where I probably hunt deer. When I, if I were to break all my hunting down and put a percentage basis on it, I think oh, it's probably 90% deer and 10% elk, and earlier in life it's probably 75% deer and 25% goose. Or then, and that's not counting spring turkey. I'm just thinking about when you have to make decisions in the fall. And I, I saw a survey one time. A, a, it was actually a real scientific survey where they asked deer hunters, "If is there anything else out there that could replace deer hunting if you could no longer do it?" And it was like about overall about 49 percent of those deer hunters, about half the deer hunters, said there's nothing else in my life that could replace deer hunting. Like. To that extent. Okay. And then I asked goose hunters, if you could, re if, if there's something else out there that could replace goose hunting if you were to be cut off from it forever. And then, then it would drop down to like, I think 10% or something. They also really? Like, yeah, so they're just not as dedicated. Just not as dedicated. You know, there's something about, I, I always go back to my expression, deer, deer make people stupid. Yes. There's just <laughs> something that it, it makes up so much a part of you that you just cut off all reason. And just go with it. I might start a t-shirt that says, Deer Make People Stupid. <laughs> uh, Pat made me aware of another good quote the other day. It was about leadership, where he said, Every ship needs a captain, and there's no such thing as a co-captain. That's right. Which yeah. is good. Yeah. Um, you guys cool on that subject? Yep. Okay. There's a guy that wants to, he's having a kid. And he wants to know what to name it to make extra sure that it's a hunter. And I'll tell you what, it's not hunter. I think a lot of people are just thinking it's as easy as calling them hunter and that that's going to get it taken care of. But I've met a boatload of hunters that don't hunt. The name hunter. Yeah. And then I see people go the mountain man route. Dude likes to hunt a lot and he's got a kid, Jedediah. Or he's got a kid, Boone. I don't know if that works or not. I named my kid, my newest kid, I named him after my brother Matt, who likes to hunt more than anybody on the planet. Um, no one knows that, that that's my game. <laughs> so you hear Matt, you think of the dude from the New Testament, right? So I don't, I don't have a good answer for him. 
All I can say is that when, when we were having kids, we picked out a boy's, boy's name and a girl's name. And I, for one kid, I picked out the name Bridger if it's going to be a son. Because you wanted the person to be, the kid to be yeah, a Yeah, I always had this idea that you um, bring up your kids and the culture and teach them about the mountain men, the, the famous hunters, you know, r- real people, not fictional characters, real people. And then, um, just so you know, though, I had three daughters, so I never had to use the, the boys' names. Well, did you, but did you name any of them after the goddess of the hunt? Nope. Nope. I, um, that would be smart. But we did name, um, Diana, the goddess of the hunt. We, we did name my, my third kid, Carson. And if it had been a boy, it would have been spelled C-A-R-S-O-N. But she was a girl, so we named her, spelled it K-A-R-S-Y-N. And Presumably Kit Carson. Kit Carson, yeah. yeah. And just because I, I, I like history, I like all, the, all that kind of stuff. But um, you don't know, though, names are important. I really i am big on names, and, and I, I evaluate people by what they name their kids. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, <laughs> yeah, man. Bad. Of, I do that bad. Judgment. How did I do? <laughs> I don't know your kids' names. We'll touch base later. Can we do, it takes a little while for you to figure it out. You can't do it like on the spot. Right nice people. Okay, go ahead. No, but you don't want to put him on the spot. No, put him on the spot. But I mean, because what if he has to judge people out here in the audience? Oh, because they might have the same name. Yeah, as you know, my daughter. They'll, they'll yeah, okay. jump me afterward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll beat Pat's ass and, over some name issue. All right, sorry, bad idea. No, no, go ahead. I don't care. I'm just. I'm doesn't matter. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Pat's blood will be on my hands. No, let's skip it. I, I will tell you, uh, you may want to avoid naming your kid Cal. Uh, I've had a couple of friends go down that route, and uh, turns out there's a little too much outlaw on that name. Is that right? Spins them off in a wild direction. Found themselves on the wrong side of the law a few too many times, maybe. Already? Yeah. Uh, question for you, though, Pat. You got three daughters. One likes to hunt more than the other ones, right? Oh, definitely. Was it Carson? No, it's Leah. Leah, my, my my very first daughter. Um, this is this is one thing. If you ever want to get insights into how kids think and who will be the hunter, I took I took all three of my daughters. I started them hunting at about age three. Take them along. I used to have a well. We still have their their wagon, their little red wagon. I was called the ATV. I'd put them in the red, red wagon and pull them out goose hunting. And Leah, not kidding you, by age three, she she understood. The goose music. And they, and they, when she, she could hear geese coming, and her little head would just turn and start tracking. And I, and I watched, because she had really good hearing. And I watched her. Um, and then when the, when the geese started to come in, and you know how they come in, just setting their wings and tilting back and forth, she just watched like a, like a, like a retriever, watched those geese until I shot, and then and be happy. If I, and if I missed, you know, she'd kind of, just kind of stare at me. But then... <laughs> What what's what, what was really what was really instructive, you guys, is um, I start, as the other girls came along. Then behind her, I'd take all three of them out goose hunting, and oh god, there's a flock coming in, and all those all that honking, all that noise, and they're you know they're gonna set and set in your decoys. You finally come up and you raise the gun, and I look over and Leah's watching the geese. There are two are like this. <laughs> They got their heads heads down and ears covered up, and, I, and I, all I could think was before I shot, they aren't going to be hunters, you know. 
and they weren't. Do you love that one lot more than the others? No, uh-uh, no. <laughs> no, no, that, 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 that's, the, that's the fun thing about parenting. You really learn each one of those charms. I, I, I love it. I, I, and it's fun now as a, as a grandparent to see um, what's, it's sad too, though, because as the girls start having kids, you can't spend the kind of time hunting and fishing with them as you did. Cause like, as time went on, um, Leah and Leah always hunted and fished. Ellie would, would not want to get out of bed to go fishing, but once she's on the lake after breakfast, she fished all day just fine. Our youngest one would sit in the back of the boat, read, cut up the worms. She'd do anything besides fish. And then now as an adult though, she just finished her master's degree, and I found it very interesting that her master's degree in English was all based around the outdoors and getting back into the outdoors as an adult. And so now I think as she's now having kids and starting to go fishing with me, I find that really cool. And she's one named Carson, yeah. where I think, yeah, I don't so it's know. a slow burn it's of a, a name. It's a slow burn, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you. Takes gra- the name Carson takes gradual effect. Yeah. Um. A thing I've been thinking about with kids lately, like kind of like with with the way exposing them to the outdoors is helpful, is I've been having this debate now with my wife about like teaching them to use a hatchet, right, to cut kindling. If you come out in the yard and there's a five year old with a hatchet, one might question what's going on here. So, <laughs> but a, a way that I wound up selling it. On my wife and I've used this a couple of times now. Is I'm like I'm trying to introduce them to sort of an arena of consequence, and I find that that these sorts of activities are a way to bring people in. We're to, to bring people in in a fun way, but where decisions matter, mm-hmm. right? Where there's right ways and wrong ways to do things, and there's difficult questions to wrestle with, like why do we eat deer but not unicorns, right? And it winds up being that it's like, it's just this thing of you're introducing this world where, yes, you can, this is a world in which one can be gravely injured if one doesn't learn how to master certain skills, where you will come up empty handed if things aren't done this way, where there's this morality at play and life and death is struggling out. It just winds up being really helpful. I think that it could be that you could raise, you could start out like trying to raise outdoor kids with an outdoor sensibility and have them go off and not be interested at all. And you'd be tempted to look and be like, oh, I wasted my time. But perhaps not, because when you color with your kid, and your kid doesn't wind up being a professional colorer, right. <laughs> you're not bummed that you, like, you're not bummed that you colored with them all the time. Ah, wasted all that time. <laughs> Coloring sunshines, you know? It's like, no one ever looks at that that way. So I do, but, but I, yeah, I feel like I'm like setting them up to be, cool people to hang out with yeah good. when maybe it's just there's value in well nothing else if nothing else they will grow up into adults and my kids all still like getting elk from me deer from me fish from me they want they want that to be brought into their house and, and they they share it with us i mean we share it with them and to me that that's what's important get them into that culture but at least understand it and when they can interact with their co-workers and they get talking about these things, 
that there's someone in the office who can talk real intelligently about the hunting lifestyle. And I grew up in a house where that's where we ate for the most part. And so I think that has great value. And because my kids didn't grow up out of the house and then go, oh, dumb with that dumb son of a bitch. He's out of here, you know. They grew up and they, they embraced the way we grew, they grew up, you know. So I think that's as great. Anything you can do with your kids that gets them outdoors, eating the fish, learning how to prepare it. Eat, eating contaminated fish. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like we were talking earlier today about the things that kids see, you know, that could, you know, make the hair snap in the back of your neck. And they handle it just fine. I think so often we baby kids make, make they think, we, you know, we tell each other that, oh, you can't expose them to that. And people worry about seeing a dead deer in the back of a car. And I think, well, there's a semi just went by with a oh, full load of, of hogs. Where do you think they're going? Do you ever talk to your kids about those kind of things and make them understand that, yeah, well, that deer is dead, but tomorrow all those hogs, they won't be here anymore either. And make them, yeah, I think those are opportunities for people to talk to kids and explain things to them. That's my thought. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, are you, uh, did, Mark, do you feel like you guys are throwing some outdoors, some outdoors women or no? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we didn't, I didn't put any thought into their names, but I do put <laughs> some thought. I mean, put thought in their names, but not in that regard. You know, I figured, you know, hopefully we'll introduce them to the outdoors. And, A and B. Yeah, expose them, expose them to those things. Actually, one of my daughters, Mara, which is kind of a unique name, is has the same name as your sister, which is kind of cool. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you talk about an arena of consequence. Um, our oldest uh, is pretty much a daredevil, so she pretty much puts herself in arena of consequence constantly. Just, just happens to do it anyway. Yeah, but and that's one thing that I had to learn was like I just kind of let her do it. Now it's like you want to climb to the top. All right, sort it out. You know, if you fall down, you fall down. You know, and and like what Pat said. I mean, I think we don't give kids credit for what they're capable of doing, or oftentimes understanding or comprehending. Or, you know, you, and I've thought about this myself as far as like exposing them to, to hunting or death and are they ready for it? And we were even chatting a little bit about that earlier. And, then, and the fact of the matter is those, those are normal things. I mean, that is, that is, that is, happens all day, every day. And I think the sooner you realize that and accept it, you know, the better off you're going to be. So, but yeah, but anyway, to answer, I'll go further than that to answer your question. So we have been doing some, uh, some nature walks. So uh, the girls like to find find the deer walks. They like to look for rubs. We've been picking some mulberries. Been uh, catching a lot of bluegills lately. The kids absolutely lose their mind when they have a fish on there. Yep. Like it's just it's it's one of the most amazing things to watch. It's like watching electricity shoot through their body, and I love it. No, it's fun. But speaking of electricity, you guys can answer this. My kids, when they're small, what most fascinated them when we go scouting. Was was deer deer turds, bear bear yep. poop, anything that came out of an animal, they had to go over and check it out and, and ask questions about it. We were walking through the woods. Uh, I was out and we were looking for squirrels with their uncle Matt. And I turned around and my daughter was four. She was three or four, and she had a mouthful of deer droppings. <laughs> Because we had apparently picked some up and talked about it, and she got the wrong, <laughs> like, picked out the wrong detail about what we were saying about it, and she's like, <laughs> and I realized that she had chewed up a deer dropping. But 
Yeah, one of my favorite. But you know what? It's like this whole reflection of yourself thing, right? And and so I think you could get I, the risk would be that you get overly invested in the idea that you're going to make them that they're going to be a version like this version of yourself that you wish was the one that that was true somehow. Like I have a picture of my little boy when he was so my eight year old when he was five. It's like a picture of him, nothing on but his underwear, cocked back with a slingshot, and there's a black bear standing right in front of him up at our fish shack. And like, I like that picture. Probably because you're, you're doing some game where you're like, you know, you're sort of saying like, it's this represent, it's this literal representation of you where it's like half of your, you know, genetic input. But you wind up like trying to isolate these moments and find these moments where it's this thing that, that you wish was true about you. And I think it could set kids up for failure in a way in your mind if you have these huge expectations. Like people will ask me like, what are you going to do if your kids don't like to hunt like you do? They'd probably like them. <laughs> Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying? I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash eater. Make sure you use code MEATEATER. To choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. Hey, heads up all you anglers. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in Montana, based in Helena. 
after building custom fly rods for more than 25 years, Montana native and lifelong fly fisherman Scott Joyner decided to apply his knowledge in designing three performance-driven fly rod models. These rods were designed to be performance rods and to withstand the abuse that a fishing guide's equipment endures day in, day out. Their fly rods are named after Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks fishing access sites, which is such a cool idea. And each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Montana casting company fly rods have been developed to achieve the perfect balance of performance, durability, and legacy quality craftsmanship. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. (laughs) Probably won't hang out that much. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, On the subject of families, dude from Michigan, he's an engineer by training, and he's going out to Idaho. All people should go hunt Idaho. Right, Cal? He's going out. He's going out to Idaho and he's wanting to know what can I tell my wife? And he's going out by himself. So he's doing a solo wilderness hunt. What can I tell my wife that will make her stop worrying? You can rest assured he's got the smallest details worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The little bit the little engineering bits worked out. I think the thing he could tell her is he could say, I've arrived. Because it's more dangerous to drive to your Definitely. hunting location than it is to hunt. Yeah, I, I've, done, I've done solo hunts like that. And I, I think it just makes sense anywhere. I, I carry one of those personal locator beacons that, you know, you can basically you flip one switch on and it sends a, a beam up to the satellite. And next thing you know, but they always tell you that, when you hit that switch, you better be in trouble because they are sending help. Yeah, and it also you can also do pre-programmed texts yeah, that right. every day say everything's yeah. okay. You just set it so it just does that no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three years later, she's still getting, yeah, some bitch is still okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, in these days, too, it's often the case, even where I hunt out west, um, where you get up on a mountaintop, once a day or whatever it might be. I'm not one of these phone in every day people unless I have to be, though. I, I just, my wife and I just don't need that constant reassurance. But I, I think it is good to have cell phone communication if you, can, if you can arrange it to where she knows you're there every day. But I'm like you. I always think the odds of getting hurt on that one week or two weeks out there out west compared to the, the daily risk of routine risk you run by driving to work, all those kind of things, falling down the back stairs, all the crazy things that happen to people in life, what are the odds that the the bad things that happen to you during that one time out there? Now, I I could see I'd be a lot more worried if if this was a guy who was going out off the coast of Alaska in a boat every day for two weeks by himself. But on land, I I feel like you should do some safeguards, though, for she'll never stop worrying completely, and she'll never stop worrying until you're back home. But I, I found, like last year, I, I had a guy bail on me. I was hunting in, out in Arizona. Right before I was leaving for my hunt, my, my buddy bailed on me. So I was going to be going out there by myself. 
But luckily, Randy Newberg happened to be hunting the same area, so I emailed Randy and said, hey, I'm going to be hunting this unit nine. I hear you. I knew you're going to be there too. Could you just be my emergency backup in case Penny has to reach me and she can't reach me? I'll I'll tell you where I'm parked. You know, give him a GPS. You know, yeah, it worked out fine. There's always things you can do to at least be able to maintain a link somehow. Yeah, and, and I think the, the link though is important. Just that satisfaction or uh, knowledge that they know where you are, that you're okay. I think that that where I'm going to be, where I'm parking my vehicle. And I think another thing that's helpful is if I'm not back by this day, something's definitely not right. It's helpful for people. And then the the beacons. I bought one of those beacons for an Alaska hunt, but now, like I pack, when I go tree stand hunting by myself, like I told, I keep that in my pack every time too, because I'm like, you know, you fall out of the stand, you might not have cell reception. Like, fall, yeah, you fall out of the stand, you got an arrow through your gut. Hopefully not, but <laughs> you're sleeved. <laughs> That's not a problem anymore. <laughs> I'm clear. Uh, I want to hit one more. Uh, two more. Say the same dude is always wondering, um, when is it, when should you bring a spotting scope when you factor in the weight issue? First off, you need seven spotting scopes. <laughs> Maybe eight. Um, I think it, de- it just depends. It depends on the and hunt. And 15s, right, Mark? I mean, well, actually, I mean, yeah. He, 15s and 10s. 15s or 12s. It depends on the hunt, though. Like, open landscape hunt, or if you are going to be doing a lot of vehicle scouting, I mean, then you're not really packing anyway. But, you know, if you're talking about packing it, I think it depends on the hunt. It depends on, you know, how, you know, what a, what a person's looking to find. You know, if you're just looking to find a deer or locate something, then, you know, maybe your binos will get you through. But if you're, you know, trying to be a little bit more discerning or you're on a sheep hunt where, you know, maybe you are really, really trying to pick apart, is this a full curl ram? You know, I think I'd let the hunt dictate it, but they're definitely handy. You know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule them out for um, the Midwest either, because you can do a lot of really good long-distance scouting around here without being intrusive on, you know, an area that you want to hunt. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you so honest? Have you ever, uh, you when you get a call at Vortex, are you so honest that you've ever said talk someone out of buying a product? Like, how deep I mean, is your honesty? No, yeah, I would. I definitely, I'd point a person around. I mean, you need a set of binos. And you, you Absolutely. Know, yeah, I mean that's just like I'll, I'll never, I'll never say that you don't need a set of binos. But you know, if you're rifle hunting, I, you know, I'd say you need a rifle scope too. But I mean, yeah, I fish with binoculars. I mean, I just bring yeah. binoculars around with me all the time. You know, when I when I do anything outside, like I get an, if I forget my binoculars, which happens occasionally, or or actually, oftentimes I drive to work and sometimes I don't have them in my truck and I see deer on the way to work, then I'm, I get I get super annoyed because I'm like my first my first instinct is like, <gasps> and then I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I did it to myself. I want to get like on the spotting scope thing. Um, you know, uh, what's like what's a Razor sixty five weigh? Just so people know what we're talking about. I like think pounds. approximately about three pounds. So when you when you got like when you got people, and I used to do this where you're actually cutting your toothbrush handle in half in the interest of reducing pack weight. Three pounds is a big deal. Yep. But if it's if it's any kind of hunting where there's any sort of legal antler restriction so it'd be like 
identifying growth rings on a sheep because he's got to have a minimum age or whether or not it describes a 360 degree circle that for sure like with moose it needs to have if you're in a unit that where the thing has to have four brow times yep that level of detail or it's that you have a personal goal of like identifying a x like a big huge giant one yep um I find that it's helpful, but also I just like to have it because I like to look at stuff. Yep. So I'll cut the handle off a toothbrush, say, but then also just stick the three-pound tripod or the three-pound spotting scope and then a tripod because I just like to look around. Like when I factor in like the comfort of having a light pack juxtaposed with the comfort of being able to look really carefully at things in the natural world that are far away... I just gotta lean in that direction. Well, totally. And then you gotta look at what it's, what it could be saving you too, right? Like, it's like, okay, yeah, I've toted this three pounds or, you know, give or take up the mountain. And yeah, it took some space in my pack, but it could also be saving you several miles of walking per day. So, you know, you're kind of like weighing those two things. And I mean, yeah, in my opinion, it's a huge asset. So this feller, the, the Idaho feller should, um, uh, Tell his wife the the do or die day he's going to be back and probably bring a spot and scope. That's it. One last one. I think we got time for one last one. Um, guy rode in. He's out turkey hunting. And lo and behold, he's turkey hunting with another guy. And he's a new hunter. And the other guy's a seasoned hunter. And lo and behold, they're calling in. And here comes two toms coming at him. And his hunting partner's like, we're going to do the old one, two, three. Okay? I'll count. (laughs) And he says that things are coming, they get close, and he goes, one, two, (laughs) blouch! And and then the other bird flies away. And later the guy's like, what's up? (laughs) He says, well, everyone knows you don't say three, you shoot on three. (laughs) <laughs> but I feel that you shoot on three just after three right you'd be like that's what I'm saying without planning it out how do you make it work I, I remember like I remember sitting with my, my late friend Eric Kern and we were laying down calling to some turkeys that kind of busted us but kind of didn't and we're calling and he wants to do the old one two three like the old double up, which usually means no one gets anything. And so <laughs> we're lined up and I'm waiting for him to do the count. And pretty soon we got hens past us, you know, and he never does the count. And we realized we never clarified the rule, even who was. It just happened fast. And we missed a chance. But I feel like you'd say, um, one, two, three, blouch. And what would have been the four? Does that make any sense? Yeah. I would, I think I would agree with, I think that is what I would anticipate in the heat of battle of trying to coordinate. Yeah. I think that this dude he was hunting with intentionally screwed. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind that that dude intentionally screwed him over. He got to counting and then he's like, you know, what if he goes, what if he, his read on this is he's going to blouch before I blouch. 
And he made a judgment call at the last second just to shoot. Game hog. And then later tried to cover his tracks. Yeah. We had better luck. I've only done it a couple of times. But it seemed it worked where we just both said, yes, we have the animal in our sights. You shoot first. So you sort of can let the, the animal you're about, whoever's going to shoot second can let the animal react to that shot, whatever it might be. And you're not going to be startled by the shot mm-hmm. of your buddy. And then you take the shot. Yeah. Because most way- animals, I don't think in that like split second that it's going to take for you to, you know, reacquire the target by slightly moving your gun. It's not like they're just gone. I also feel like it's difficult to get a good trigger squeeze when you're trying to like Count. time it. <laughs> yeah. You know? That, that's, that's the solution we've hit on is like a version of what you're saying is like, no, 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 no. Just do your thing. I'm ready. If it works out afterward, it works out afterward. Yep. But hunting elk with Remy recently where he was real eager to try to do the old one, two, three. And I was like, let's just, you just get your situation squared away here and we'll see if I can pick up some sloppy seconds. <laughs> right, which d- didn't work out. But had we tried to do the one, two, three, easy, wouldn't happen. I think communication is is the uh, the, the the main takeaway here, right? Like my wife tells me be, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this buddy of mine, uh, Reed Dixon, who I just bumped into in Denver earlier in the week, he uh, we were out for his very first turkey hunt. Uh, it was actually on his ranch in Oregon, and I still take a little bit of heat for this, but communication was very clear for the first half of things, not so clear for the second half of things. They were calling birds, and these two uh, jakes are coming in, and I'm like, okay, you take the one on the left, I'll take the one on the right, I'm going to shoot as soon as you shoot. So no one, two, three, right? And so it's going to be like, bounce, bounce. Yes. When in fact it was, bounce, bounce, bounce. (laughs) (laughs) Point of contention comes in on that third one. Mm -hmm. Whereas these birds were so close and I was so positive that he obviously hit the first bird and rolled it but now it was up on its feet running away that I was just doing the good guy thing and taking taking care of it Mm -hmm. before it runs off. Now, years later, there's some question as to whether or not he shot the bird for a shell. He's like, you remember my turkey, right, Cal? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, you remember when you filled my turkey tag for me? Uh, anyone last final thoughts? I think when you try to coordinate a shot based on counting. So this isn't your concluder. Oh, no, I'm not going to go along with that. <laughs> not wasting I'll, that. I have a concluding thought, though. Okay. Yeah, I, I no, gonna, go, no, you can final thought. You can, I can do a final can, thought and then do can, a concluder. You can rip a concluder on the one, two, three. We'll jump over to Yanni for a concluder. Then we'll come back to your regular concluder. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. My my, final, my first concluder then, um, to do the timed thing where you go one, two, three, it has to be something you practice. You read about these. That's a good idea. The the, the, the sniper teams, if you if you read the, the account of these um, 
pirates that were shot off the back end of one of these uh, uh, Navy... Yeah, they did a one, two, three. Yeah, and it's something they, they, they practice. And I think it's a silent thing, though. They, they, they get, it, get it going, then, then pop. So oh. it's, it's, it's all, it's, it's something that they You do. eliminate the count. Yeah. You go one. Yeah, once you start the count, it, it, I, I think, I can't say that's exactly how it goes, but, but there is something where it's synced, where these guys work together so much, where when they, when they get down to doing it, that most people are, are done. And, and it's not something that was invented on that, in that case. It was, you know, this is sniper work that's been going on for probably decades and, you know, longer. Anyway, that was my other thought. Yeah. That's a good one. Really good. <laughs> Yanni? <laughs> oh, so many things to talk about. Um, like, like big high level concluders, or you mean about the one, two, three, and? No, not, I'm over that. Um, but it's, I don't, it's not really high level either, but I was going to bring up, we were going to talk about possibly what we've been eating lately while a game. Also, I use that for my concluder. Um, like what you're hot on right now? Yeah. You know, I canned a whole bunch of elk. In the last couple of years, we really haven't been eating it that much. And then your car broke down. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a bartering joke. <laughs> that went over my head. <laughs> um, but my house is actually kind of broken down right now. It only has three walls, one wall of Visqueen as we're doing a little remodel work. And uh, I'd like to do a shout out to uh, Camp Chef and Traeger because without them, I wouldn't be doing any kind of cooking because I don't have a kitchen right now. <laughs> yeah, Yana's camp's at his house now, man. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of cool. I'm going to actually miss. There's a uh, bird, and I'm sorry, I don't, I haven't, it's been on my list of things to do to identify the species. He's got a beautiful morning song. And our house is, uh, it's a cabin and he's been actually kind of coming. He's about two feet in the house in the morning. And just like, we got a high ceiling that going and goes to this loft where we sleep. And, um, I mean, his song just fills the whole house every morning. And I'm going to miss that because it's all, it's like you're camping, right? I mean, the trees are right there that he's just flying back and forth. Well, I mean, it's been great. Anyways, going off on a tangent here, but the canned elk. It's been really coming in handy, right? Because I come home and you're like looking at how many dishes you got to do. Again, no kitchen at all. So we're just doing bust up dishes in the backyard. And um, when you look at candle, it's not the most appetizing thing. No. No, at all. But I just want to say that if you haven't tried it yet, try it. And don't go through the hassle of browning it, seasoning it, anything like that. Do what they call raw pack, which you just cube it up, pack it into the can, can it some people add like a teaspoon of salt i think maybe for a whole quart something like that it might just be a half a teaspoon can it you put it up and then we've been just doing barbecue sandwiches with it uh sloppy joe style sandwiches uh tacos um oh yeah making a stew just like quickly blowing some carrots and potatoes dumping it in there it's been a it's been awesome and it's been a savior so now i don't when i look at it i'm not i'm not quite so like I don't detest the, the looks of it so much because I see the value in it. I see right? the value now. Now, is the thinking on raw packing, um, is the thinking that, one, you can pack more in because yeah. it hasn't gotten rigid, so you get a higher, like you just get higher meat to liquid. But is there something, too, about the way it expels water or doesn't expel water? Is this ringing a bell at all? It's hard to say. I just feel like when you cook it first in the pan, you're losing a lot of moisture probably fat, you know, and flavor. Yeah, but I put that back in the jar. 
Right. Yeah. You, can you put that. the scrape. But I feel like back. when you, if you, you're just saving yourself a step because when you raw pack and cook it, it's all just, just there in the, in the jar. When I was a kid, man, and hunting season was coming on, my old man would, uh, take a milk crate and he would like rig a milk crate out so we could just have lunches out, tailgate lunches out in the woods, you know, or out at farms where we hunted. And it, he would buy, I remember he'd buy coffee drops, so like, you know, coffee candy. And he'd buy bags of prunes, and he'd put mustard in there, and he'd put a bunch of those jars of canned venison, jarred venison. And then we'd have, uh, and he'd have rye bread or whatever to spread it on. And it was like an early connection I made to be, it was like always the last thing left from last year's deer would be the jars. And then you're eating the last bit of last year's deer while trying to get this year's one. And there's sort of a continuity to it that couldn't be missed, even to a kid. And I still kind of have that, like, feeling of it, you know. My brother bought one of those things to make steel cans, where you can make your own steel cans, not glass. And he started putting whole ducks in there, and then the duck would fit the can, and then can the whole damn duck. But if you drove around with it in your car for a while, by the time you pulled it out, it was just like bones laying in the bottom of there and duck meat floating on top. I remember being out one time, my, my brother's neighbor had died, and they cleaned out his house, and for some reason he had a ton of Slim Fast, those Slim Fast cans. And I remember being out hunting, and um, we were just, all we were doing was drinking Slim Fast and eating those canned ducks. <laughs> <laughs> my, and my buddy Pooter was, <laughs> my buddy Pooter was with us, and he says, man, I just feel like we're going to be skin and bones by the end of this trip. <laughs> Pat, you got a concluder? Yeah, I um, have to say, it's, I can't see you folks real well because of the lights, but it's, to me, it's really cool to think that this many people could come in here and listen to five people that's talking about hunting and fishing. And I really want you to think about something Carl Malcolm brought up in the Tempe um, podcast about making a conservation effort not just between the hunting community, but outside the hunting community, and build this big effort, this big coming together moment, basically. And, you know, it's not going to happen by big, some big campaign, some big um, public relations effort. These kind of things happen slow but sure, and they happen around these kind of venues where you folks come, can kind of come in here. And the reason you're here, I have no doubt about this, is because of Steve Ranella. It's because of his, his, the way he can express great thoughts about hunting, not in a defensive way, but in an explanatory way that makes people have fun and think about things in a fun way, entertaining way. And so, like I mentioned earlier about the idea. Thank you, Pat. I mentioned earlier, you know, the idea of driving down the highway and seeing... Uh, you know, the, the whole comparison between a dead deer in the back of a truck and a load full of, um, of uh, pork or, or cows, whatever it might be. And I, the thing I want you to think about is you guys becoming the face of hunting. Wear your blaze orange, wear your camouflage, and when people talk to you, be polite, explain things, don't be defensive, just reach out to folks in a fun way, in a, in a friendly way. Because I found a number of times over the years, people see a dead deer in the, in the back of my truck or something, and they'll come over and just want to talk. 
And they don't know about this. Another, another case I can think of, I was fishing out of Milwaukee one time, and it was in, in, in McKinley Park in Milwaukee, catching salmon, we brought in some salmon. And people walking by, people have never seen a fish brought off a lake before in their lives. This is not something they do every day. And they were so fascinated that you could go out in this lake and catch a fish that big, bring it back, cut it up, and take it home and eat it. And I think that's kind of the image you should have sometimes when people, you come across them out, in, out in, uh, um, at a gas station, at a convenience store. A lot of them don't know what they're really looking at here, so be patient with them and take those opportunities to just open up a little bit about what a great thing that we're doing. This is, we're not doing it for... Um, I don't do it to, to keep populations in control or control disease, all these bullshit excuses people give for hunting. I do it because it's fun and it's something I, I, loved, I love bringing meat home, processing that stuff, getting it in the freezer, bringing it out later. My wife's a great cook. My daughters are getting, getting to be great cooks. And I, I just find that aspect of it just so enriching and so, to me, exciting that I think that's hard to miss when, when you're sincere about it. So just keep that in mind. Be the face of hunting. Was well, an altruistic uh, population control hunting specialist. Um, <laughs> it's like I hate hunting, but if I didn't do it, we're just all going to die from deer. But no, man, uh, Pat, I was just going to say a lot of the same things uh, you said, mostly because I've been going off your notes the whole time. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks for everybody that's showed up here tonight and, and and i guess the one of the big reasons i say that is because just the fact that you're here you know shows me that you care about hunting and care about fishing and care about our wild places on on a very deep level and um like like pat said you know i mean it's on us to be a voice for that um and and to and to communicate with people that maybe are outside our circle and and help them understand and and hopefully bring them into the fold and uh and also, uh, uh, thanks to Steve and the Meteor crew for having me here tonight and, and letting me sit with you guys and, and being the voice that you guys are. Because, I mean, I truly believe this, man. When, when we are all long gone, people are going to be sitting around campfires telling stories about you guys. So, appreciate you guys. Yeesh. Um... I was a little hurt, I guess. They didn't ask my opinion on uh, if you're going to be away from a lady for a long time. Oh. Okay. What would you do? Well, not from personal reference. Say you were in a situation. <laughs> say you were in a situation where you loved someone. Um. I do listen to a lot of old country music when I'm working on the house. Right? Okay. Charlie Pride said, uh, you know, tell her that you'll love her even when you're gone. Love her like a devil when you get back home. <laughs> that seems, seems to make sense to me. Uh, and uh, 
to switch gears, yeah, I, I think we all have to recognize that, that uh, we all have a platform and uh, we can use it uh, in a lot of different ways. We know from looking at YouTube. And uh, my uh, grandma on my mom's side always says, you know, you're not going to be around that long. So if you get a shot at, you know, talking to somebody that you want to talk to, it doesn't matter who it is. If they're the president of the United States and you're right there, don't regret it. But utilize your time and, and talk to them and let them know what you're thinking because that may be the only shot you get. And uh, I think we got to realize that and uh, when we have... Uh, you know, these interactions, be it, uh, you know, in person or socially, we need to, uh, and I'm absolutely guilty of this as well, but we need to uh, take take advantage of that time and make the best impression possible and, uh, and make sure that hunting and fishing that we love is around for a really long time. And uh, I, I really got to thank everybody in here who's... Uh, you know, wearing those public landowner shirts and BHA shirts and the TRCP shirts. And um, and thank you very much, but, you know, that's not enough. You got to you gotta go a little bit further. And, you got to get a public water T-shirt, which doesn't <laughs> exist yet, but should. Uh, and if issues come up, uh, not only in your state, but in others, you know, take advantage and and uh, pick up pick up the phone and uh, call your duly elected officials and let them know that uh, you appreciate what you do and uh, the places that you can go and, and enjoy those things. All right. My, uh, my concluder, are you, you cool? Yeah, cool. Uh, first, need to uh, wish a happy anniversary to our friend Mitch Petrie from Sportsman Channel, who's here with his wife, Kristen, and presumably... As part of a large package of experiences that he's lavishing upon her this week, he chose to make this one of them. So happy anniversary. <laughs> and also, uh, there's an active duty Air Force serviceman here named Craig Quinnett. Flew here to be here tonight and probably not in the Air Force jet. Are you here, Craig? Yep. Great. He made it. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much. Oh, a couple quick announcements. Uh, we got um, our steam breathing, our, our steam breathing anthem turkey posters are for sale out front. If you saw those, uh, Blout shirts, Meteor Podcast shirts. Until we get kicked out, which happens when eleven. At eleven. Yeah. So until we get kicked out at eleven, we'll mosey up that that away there, and we'll be there to take pictures and, and sign stuff and hang out until they tell us that we can't anymore. Thank you very much for coming out. Tonight, it is great, and I love you all. Thank you. Thank you. Let's throw out some hats real quick. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access 
to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in our capital, Helena, Montana. Each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Scott personally calls every customer who buys one of his rods. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. 